This is the Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, according to St. Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, this is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up and do not be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise you may be seated. Mountains are holy places. They are high places where the earth and heavens seem to touch. The air is crisp and invigorating. On mountains, we are closer to the brightness of the sun during the day and the illuminating array of stars at night. We go to the mountains to retreat from the craziness of our daily lives, and from their tops, we are able to gain perspective, to see more clearly where we are and who we are. It is no wonder that mountains figure so prominently in the Bible as places where people meet God. In Exodus, Moses goes to the mountain in Sinai to receive the law. And it is on another mountaintop that Moses sees the promised land just as he is about to die. In 1 Kings, Elijah, the great prophet, goes to the holy mountain to hear the still, small voice of God in the sheer silence of the mountain pass. And today, in our gospel reading, it is on the mountaintop that Jesus is transfigured in the company of Moses and Elijah before his friends, Peter, James, and John. Every year at this time, we hear the transfiguration story at the end of the Epiphany season and before we embark our Lenten journey to the cross. Transfiguration Sunday, as we sometimes call it, is a hinge time, a transitional moment in the liturgical year, a time when we are invited to look both backward and forward, as if indeed we are standing on the mountaintop, glancing back whence we have come and looking ahead to what is yet to be. And so too does the transfiguration story itself invoke both past and future. The story looks to the past by connecting Jesus' life and ministry to the two great prophetic figures of the Old Testament, 
Moses the lawgiver, and Elijah the prophet, whose primary mission is to herald the coming of a Messiah. Their appearance with Jesus in this vision tells us that Jesus' life is indeed in continuity with both the prophetic tradition and the Torah. Jesus is fulfilling the work God started in Moses, and he is responding to the clarion call of Elijah for a Messiah. The Transfiguration story likewise looks backwards to the scene of Jesus' baptism. You will remember that at his baptism in the River Jordan, a spirit descends upon Jesus like a dove with a voice from the heavens saying to him, You are my son, the beloved with whom I am well pleased. Today, this same voice from the heavens calls out again, but this time it speaks not just to Jesus alone, but to those who would follow Jesus, saying, This is my son, the beloved but then adding, adding three simple yet daunting words. Listen to him. But the transfiguration story also looks forward, foreshadowing things to come. Jesus' mysterious transfiguration into a dazzling white figure, such as no one on earth has seen before, points us unmistakably to the resurrection. In this brief mountaintop experience, the disciples get a glimpse of the glory that is to come and are thus reassured that even though the way of Jesus will be a way of suffering and even death, Jesus' solidarity with God will somehow endure. As followers of Jesus, we live between these two poles of painful crucifixion and glorious transfiguration. Like Peter, I am sure that most of us would prefer to stay with Jesus on the mountaintop, to build him a tent there with Moses and Elijah, to preserve that moment of mystery and splendor forever, and to block out all this business about suffering and serving and bearing one's cross. But that's not Jesus' way. Much as his disciples want to hang on to the glory of the moment, Jesus gently leads them back down the mountain. His future is not to withdraw from the world, but to serve it, to stand up to its injustices, to speak out against its corruption, and ultimately to suffer at its hands and to die for it. And if we are to listen to him as the voice of the Father urges us to, we know that we must follow him down the mountain, through the stark wilderness of Lent that lies ahead, toward that mount on the other side, Calvary. This past week, as I was praying on this transfiguration text, two powerful and very different stories came to my mind. The first is from Desmond Tutu, and dates back to my seminary days in Virginia, when our campus had the great privilege of hosting Archbishop Tutu for a day, hearing him tell stories and preach and share the Eucharist with us. One of the stories Tutu told, which became the basis for his little book, God Has a Dream, 
relates to one of the darker moments during South Africa's struggles in the 1970s. Apartheid was then in full swing as Tutu and other church leaders were preparing to meet with then Prime Minister P.W. Botha. Mandela was in jail. The resistant movement was losing steam. The white South African government was firmly in power, and the situation at the time felt hopeless. In that moment, Tutu told us, he was overcome with despair. Seeking to gather his strength before the meeting, he wandered into the garden of the theological college where the meeting with the prime minister was to take place. The date was August 6, which happens to be the Feast of the Transfiguration. As he sat in the garden to pray, Tutu noticed a simple wooden cross in one corner. As he gazed at the cross, Tutu said he was overwhelmed with the feeling of God's presence as it dawned on him how this wooden cross, once a ghastly instrument of death and agony used by the most powerful empire on earth to destroy those who opposed its power, had been transfigured by Christ's resurrection into its polar opposite, a symbol of enduring life and hope. Whereas 2,000 years ago, a person would have recoiled at the sight of a cross in fear and horror, today we embrace it as the surest sign of God's love for the world. Tutu said that moment in the garden was perhaps the most powerful epiphany he has ever experienced and that he came away from it with a renewed faith in what he calls the principle of transfiguration. That nothing, no one, no situation is untransfigurable and that God, God is always at work everywhere in the slow but steady work of making things new. And of course, Tutu was telling us seminarians this story several decades later after apartheid had been abolished, an oppressive government overthrown, and Mandela had not only been released from Robben Island, but was elected South Africa's first black president. It was indeed a powerful lesson in the possibilities of transfiguration. But there is a second transfiguration story of a very different sort that has been haunting me this week as well as we watch tensions among the United States, China, and Russia continue to escalate. The first time in human history, I'm sure you'll remember, that a nuclear weapon was used by one nation against another occurred on the Feast of the Transfiguration, August 6th in 1945, when the United States dropped an atomic bomb on the city of Hiroshima and decimated its people. Whatever one might think of the moral rationale for dropping the bomb, there is no doubting the sheer human horror that day unleashed as the nuclear age was born. One of the bomb's inventors, J. Robert Oppenheimer, made this point as profoundly as anyone. When the bomb was first tested in the desert of Los Alamos, New Mexico, 
upon seeing the ominous mushroom cloud, Oppenheimer was moved to quote from the great Hindu text, the Bhagavad Gita, the scene where the god Krishna reveals his awesome destructive power to his cousin Arjuna. Showing what he can do, Krishna proudly boasts, I am become death, destroyer of the worlds. In the testing of the first atomic bomb, Oppenheimer could see a transfiguration of scientific achievement into horror and death. Just as Tutu saw in the cross a transfiguration of horror and death into a new hope for humanity and the world. These two transfiguration stories, you see, bracket for us a very real and urgent decision about who we want to be as God's people. We can, on the one hand, open our eyes to the glory of Christ's radiant, self-giving love for us and allow ourselves to be transfigured by that love into instruments of his grace for the renewal of this broken world. Or, on the other hand, we can remain captive to the gods of this world and allow ourselves to be disfigured by a vain preoccupation with our own capacity for violence, a power that too often is used to destroy life and the world we have been given. The choice is ours. And let's make no mistake about it. This invitation to transfiguration is serious business, and the stakes could not be higher. One of the gifts of the season of Lent, which begins for us this coming Wednesday, is that it offers us a period of self-examination and reflection, a pause in the midst of overcrowded and sometimes overwhelmed lives to consider whether we are heading in the right direction as God's people. During this season of Lent, I invite you to ponder in your own hearts just what kind of transfiguration you are hoping and praying for. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon from Holy Trinity Evangelical Lutheran Church in Newington, New Hampshire, part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. You can find us at htelc.com. And don't forget, you are loved.